Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Invisible Not Broken. I'm so sorry this is a little late. Um, real life, I'm sick, and I was too sick to put this out on time. So I hope you forgive me, because this is an amazing interview. It's with Lauren Selfridge, who's another podcaster, and she runs a great podcast called This Is Not What I Ordered. It is fantastic. Please check it out. I will have links in the show notes. She also has MS, um, remitting MS, and... It was fascinating to talk to her because I got tons of free therapy, and I think you guys will as well. Um, she is a therapist in San Francisco Bay Area, and her viewpoints are amazing. And I, I recommend listening all the way to the end where we really go over a lot of philosophy about the body and the spirit and what it means to have a failing body. She has the, um, I'm going to say good fortune, but uh, she is on the calmer side of the spectrum of MS. So when you're listening to us, understand she is very clear on where she is with her MS. Um, and that leads to its own interesting, <laughs> interesting things. We go over her diagnosis journey and um, we get to talk a lot about one of my favorite topics where um, doctors tend to tell women they are stressed. Uh, it's a new code word for hysteria, I believe. And um, she really talks about demanding the test that you know you need. Um, the words spinal tap should only be used for the movie. It's much more fun of a movie than a medical test. Um, in the middle, you will hear my, my lovely quote-unquote helper dog, my darling pug who decides she's going to be a part of the interview. Um, we also have a talk about the kryptonite of the white lab coat. And I will be very honest, as snarky as I can be and as sassy as I can be, that white coat is kryptonite to me. I tend to forget questions and feel like a kid. So we talk a lot about that. My apologies. We do go into me geeking out about Dr. Who and Neil Gaiman. I can't seem to help myself. Um, so forgive. I also did tend to be a little bit more chatty and talkative than normal. Um, my apologies. I do that when I'm in a lot of pain and I was in a lot of pain that day. Lauren came up with this wonderful sentence. Um, and I shouldn't be surprised she came up with it. She's brilliant. But I want to like just write this everywhere. My spirit is an extro extrovert. My body is an introvert. That just blew me away. I, I cannot say enough about that. It just really hit me in the solar plexus. Um, we talk a lot about taking advantage of the good low symptom times, the ups and also the fears of when you have low symptom hours, days, weeks, months, years, where you're always waiting for that next shoe to drop and wondering what's going to happen. She also discusses what it's like to be unusual for her diagnosis and what that means when you don't necessarily have a clear path in front of you of knowing what to expect. Um... We talk about changing your views when your body starts to fail about what a fulfilling and successful life will look like. Um, I get to talk a little bit about my dad and what he used to say, who he was also a therapist. Um, she gives some great spoonie advice for um, career advice for chronic spoonies. And we talked a lot about our moms and a little bit about what that must be like to take care of adult children who are disabled. It's, it's kind of a different world. And I promise somewhere around Mother's Day, I'm going to have some interviews about this with moms. Hopefully mine. We'll see. Um, and we talk about therapy and chronic illness, some of the ups and downsides to having group therapy in person, online support groups. Lauren has a great page on Facebook. I'll turn that on over to you guys with, um, with links. 
and um, she's still trying to convince me to do Facebook Live. We'll see if that happens. <laughs> we did talk about the future of chronic illness and communication and a lot about social media and and chronic illness and um, how that's changed as we're all communicating and whether that could be a good thing. And I, I'm starting to land on that side. Uh, we talked also about the physical and social isolation of chronic illness. So please listen all the way to the end. I think um, this is some of this beautiful and um, very open and honest that I think I've been and um, cannot say enough good things about Lauren and please give her podcast a try. Thank you so much. And Selfridge. And And, I'm I'm dealing with MS. (laughs) That's that's a lot to deal with. And you're still working, which is what is blowing my mind. I cannot believe you're able to. And so do you want to tell everyone what you do? Yeah. So uh, I'm an associate marriage and family therapist in San Francisco. And I have a podcast. And uh, I mean, I'm still working because I have relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis. And it's really not that bad. I mean, and I know that's like, it's a weird thing to say because it, there are really hard days, but it's, it's not as bad as like some of my brothers and sisters who have MS and are, you know, more significantly impacted. So I have a lot of, I feel kind of humble knowing that, you know, there's, there's no guarantee, but for now I can work. So when you say brothers and sisters, are you talking about the community or do you yeah. have a, a mother who is like twitching at a corner somewhere trying no. to take care of everyone? <laughs> No. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, I don't have actual literal uh, siblings with MS. Uh, but yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> you just plugged into my deepest, darkest fear, which is like, as a mother, I will be chronically ill taking care of children who are chronically ill. And I was like, oh my God, your poor mother. Should I call her? Should I send right. soup? No. Okay. So we're talking <laughs> about the community at large of brothers yes. and sisters with MS that are. Yes. Yes. And so we, we do have people who probably don't understand what multiple sclerosis is. Do you want to give us the... Um, the WebMD versus the Mayo Clinic explanation. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Basically, I mean, let's, I'll also be honest. I don't completely know. I mean, I know what MS is. I know enough about it, but I very specifically don't do too much research on it because it's too much for me. Um, that said, I do know that it has to do with um, lesions in the brain and spine. So, which I have, I have uh, brain lesions and uh, C-spine lesions. And um, it, one of the things that people use as a comparison is like, uh, so the nerve has this myelin sheath around it that protects it, that gets attacked by the immune system. And the the comparison is like an electrical cord that has these wires running through it. And then this rubber outer sheath, which represents the myelin. So it's like when your cell phone charger gets little holes in it and you don't want to touch it because it's going to shock you. Um, you know, it interrupts all kinds of signals in the body. So everything from like what you see to what you hear to what you feel, um, it can impact like, oh my gosh, so many different things. MS folks are special in, 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 in the snowflake way because we each have different um, areas of the brain and spine that are impacted. So one person, you might never know that they have MS. One person might be using like mobility aids. Another person might have optic neuritis and either have low or no vision. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's different for everybody. So what started you on the the path of diagnosis? Did you have, I, I had like a 20 year winding path that did involve MS that they thought I had MS because it seems to be the go-to when you have all bunch of symptoms that are insane and crazy and body wide. <laughs> what, yeah. what did you have for, for your way of getting towards the diagnosis? 
Um, for me, it was waking up with one of my feet and legs skin deep numb and it felt really weird and, uh, wound up going to the doctor and they said, well, you might have transverse myelitis. Do you want some steroids? And I was like, no, I don't want some steroids. <laughs> oh, what, what kind of gym is this that you walk in? Hey, <laughs> drugs here. Right. No, no, it wasn't the gym. It was the doctor. <laughs> oh, I know. I said gym, gym, like the gym where like the big bulky guys come in and they're like, I yes. have a problem here. Steroids take. <laughs> See, I thought you thought that I went to the gym to get diagnosed and I was like, wait, no, no, I'm not one of those people who went no. to the gym. <laughs> I know but people no. like that though. <laughs> Right. So yeah. So I, then I wound up going to a neurologist who ordered MRIs on my lower spine, which in retrospect, wasn't very helpful because most of the lesions for MS are in the C-spine and in the brain. But they thought since the numbness was starting lower, that it meant that that's where we should do the MRIs. And they, you know, all the MRIs came back and they're like, you look fine. It's a stress condition, which is such a classic thing, especially for women to hear. Isn't that the new like hysteria? Like, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not that stressed out. I mean, like, sure, life can be stressful, but like not half my body numb stressful. And since you're so. a professionist who know about stress and what that looks like, feels yeah. like, and how to deal with that, you'd think right. that maybe. I think. Yeah, I would think. But, you know, I thought, well, it's possible. But it kept, it was so weird that I went up scheduling doctor's appointments with as many different practitioners as I could and eventually wound up in the acupuncturist's office with her kind of horrified by the fact that I couldn't feel her pinching me with her fingernails on my left side. And and I could on my right side. So she called up her physical therapist friend and the two of them conferenced on the phone for like 20 minutes while I was lying on the table with needles in my back. (laughs) At the end of the session, she said, the two of us believe that you need to demand a brain and C-spine MRI from your primary care doctor because the neurologist wasn't ordering it. And so I did. And that's when they found all the lesions. I'm first off amazed at the porcupineness of the story. And secondly, (laughs) how many people I've talked to that have had to demand basic level tests to get their diagnosis. It's shocking. And really frustrating. <laughs> so when you had your test, you had the seat, did you have to, as, uh, when they wanted to do a, a spinal puncture for me, did you have to do the spinal puncture or did you just get the C-spine, the stuff showed up? Uh, so it's so interesting. Like I have opinions about the spinal puncture. I'm not a doctor, but of course I have opinions about it. One of the cool things that happened was, uh, my mom, who's awesome. Hi mom. <laughs> <laughs> She, yeah, uh, seriously, she, like, heads up for like all the moms who are dealing with children with chronic illness. My poor yeah. mom is like, I didn't expect at four at like my daughter being 40 to drive her around everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So she, she and I were on the phone and she said, you know, just a reminder, you don't have to get a spinal tap or lumbar puncture, which is the euphemism for spinal tap. Right. So she Sounds said better, doesn't it? Yeah. She said, you can, you can like push back if that happens. And I'm like, oh God, I really don't want that. Like, I really, really, really don't want that. And so I wound up going into my MS neurologist and he mentioned like, maybe we'll need to do a lumbar puncture. And I was like, well, just for the record, I really don't want one. <laughs> so, And I mean, different people actually, I, my understanding is that some people really do need to get that. Um, and, and, and yet at the same time, I look on the threads online, like I, I saw somebody, um, <laughs> I love the look that you just gave your dog. 
I'm sorry. That it's so the funny. Same look that I get my teenager too. It's like, I know. It's like, what are you oh doing? Gosh. You know, I'm in the middle of something. <laughs> why are you barking? You've been so good. Why? That Not awesome. that my teenager barks. It's just yeah. right. <laughs> That's a whole other podcast. It's just the general mom being pissed off look. Yeah. It's a good like, one. Yeah, I have it perfected. <laughs> So, yeah, but like I've been on the like Facebook communities where people talk about, oh, how is the lumbar puncture? And you get everything. You get like hundreds of responses that are, that are like, oh, your lumbar puncture will be fine to like, I've had back problems for the last two years because of my lumbar puncture to like, you won't feel a thing to it's the worst pain you've ever felt to like, my doctor told me I didn't need to get it. And my doctor told me I had to get it. And like, there's just, everybody has their own experiences with different doctors and different sensations. So I'm really glad I got to skip it. I'm so happy for you that you got to skip it. And I want to know what superhero said you don't feel anything like that. No, that sounds like, I don't you know, know, like when people talk about going into labor and like something like, oh, I sneezed, the baby came out. And like, right. like, who are you? Like, well, this does I not sound normal. Because our brains have a way of shutting off the memory of deep pain, like physical pain. I think that maybe that's what happened. I, I don't want to invalidate. Like maybe they really were just fine, but I don't know how, um, I don't know how. Is it, that is really intense sensation. I, I have had this before and it was um, not something that I did not not feel. Like that was, yeah. that did not escape my notice. At no point did I forget <laughs> that that was what was happening. Right. <laughs> not once. Why am I here again? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I'm very absent-minded and forgetful, but that did not escape my notice. <laughs> Yeah. I'm yeah. so glad that you're telling people this because I think a lot of people get pushed into some very painful procedures that they might yeah. not have to have as the first uh, round of diagnosis. Seriously. Yeah. And, and the thing is like, there really are other diseases it could be, and they ran a bunch of blood tests. And, um, so I, again, cause I'm not a doctor, I really don't know why some people do and some people don't wind up getting pushed, but I am a big fan of just like reminding myself that I'm in charge of my health journey as far as like how I treat it. And it could be really reckless to not seek medical attention, but it's also something to keep in mind that like, we've kind of been trained to make doctors the Lord of everything in some ways. And then we become these submissive patients. And I think that there it's somewhere in between those two, like they're not the end all be all. And, and so, and if you get a good doctor, you can collaborate with them and you can level with them and be like, Hey, okay, let's just be honest. How necessary is this? What's the risk if I don't get this treatment or if I don't get this test? Um, and that's, what's been the most helpful to me is having those honest conversations with them where I feel like I'm using my agency and not just taking everything they say at face value and moving forward with it. I am so glad you said all of that because I even, I mean, I'm pretty uh, feisty. I think it's a good word. Um, bitchy would be another one, but I'll go with feisty today. And I still feel like all of a sudden someone walks in with a stethoscope and a white coat and I turn into like this little yeah. kid and yeah. like, I get panicky and I keep trying to remind myself that they're working for me, that I have yes. the right to walk out of a bad appointment. I have the right uh -huh. to go, you know what? You're being really rude to me and I yes. am going to go get another doctor. And right. I don't think we always remember that. And also, I mean, I'm a big uh, person for discussing privilege and I know it pisses off a few people, but I'm going to say it again, privilege. I have health insurance. Yeah. I can walk out of that appointment and go get another doctor and it won't create yeah. a problem of getting rent done or not. It's so uh, true. That's such a really good point. Absolutely. <laughs> I make it a lot. <laughs> 
Good. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I need to hear it. We all need to hear it. Well, you know, with uh, the way this administration keeps talking about healthcare, I think it's really important that those of us who have health insurance <laughs> remember that that is right now not considered a right in America. It's considered mm-hmm. a privilege. So I will say that we're privileged again. <laughs> but I'm yeah. glad you're talking about the other side of this, because I think especially as women, at least of my generation and the generations before, I don't think we were really taught that we get to ask questions of people who put themselves in a position of power, which a doctor has a psychotic level of power. Uh, Like a friend of mine's in a, I won't say much more than she's in a test, a testing group, and it would save her life to be in this group. And she was noticing that other forms were on desks of doctors. And these people had people's lives in their hands and they just, it was just part of their job and they weren't seeing it as life and death. And not saying doctors are like that. I'm just saying like, I think from the patient side, we assume that they're at the same level of panic that we are. And I'd love mm. to start interviewing doctors. So any doctors who are listening, please feel yeah. free to like ask to be interviewed because I'd love to get the other side of this. Yeah, I, that's a great idea. That would be a really cool conversation. And I would love to hear you in particular interview a doctor. <laughs> My snarky little self, yes. <laughs> Just tell them not to wear a white lab coat. I- for the interview. <laughs> I mean, I was intimidated interviewing you. I would probably just like sit there like if I was interviewing like Neil Gaiman or Tori Amos or Andrew Franco just going, you're just so important. I don't know what to say. That would be so endearing if you did that though. I bet they would love it. Yeah, I, I don't know if I could do that for doctors, but if I ever, ever interviewed those three people, I would just lose it. Like there would be no, no conscious talk anymore. <laughs> like Neil Gaiman. Yeah, that is- <laughs> It's, the conscious talk is a little important for a podcast. It is. It is. Unless you can just do the mouth closed and just let someone else talk, which I right. would, Neil Gaiman <laughs> could just talk all day for me. That's fine. <laughs> Sorry, I will lose my fangirl stuff right here now. Anyone who's heard the podcast knows that I will go off on Neil Gaiman and Doctor Who all day if I'm allowed. So we'll stop <laughs> and we'll get back to MS, which is bigger on the inside because it does. Do you like how I slipped in the Doctor Who there? Yes. Um, Well done. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. My son's. This podcast is sponsored by (laughs) Doctor Who. It should be. I I, I spend enough time streaming (laughs) obsessing on my bad days. So speaking of bad days, do you mind talking about what what your particular bad days are like? I mean, you are very functional, which is amazing and awesome. And I'm hearing that your disease is a lot like mine, where the, the scale of it goes from like, I wouldn't know you are sick to um, you don't leave the house anymore and don't move. So you yeah. seem to be on a better side of that scale. What does that feel like for you? What What do you do for your bad days? So on my bad days, um, meaning, and I'll use the word intense instead <laughs> of bad <laughs> because uh, you know it does help me to use words that feel more liberating. And I think on the days that are really challenging for me, uh, and then I have all my symptoms at once. So like dizziness, fatigue, brain fog. And then like, I also get physical symptoms, but it's not as, you know, like my feet get hot at night before bed and sometimes it keeps me up. But like, that's, that's not a huge deal. Um, the days when I, I just don't have the energy to leave the house or to do stuff and be social are hard because I want to be in the world. And I just had this realization the other day that um, my my spirit is an extrovert. My spirit likes to be in communication and connection with people, and I love to be animated and expressive, which requires physical energy. And so 
while my spirit is an extrovert, my body is an introvert and needs all this time to like rest and recuperate after social interactions. So, you know, it's this weird balance. And I've actually found a lot of peace with the days when I'm down because it's afforded me some opportunities I wouldn't have taken if I didn't have MS, like really being more reflective or relaxing or watching the office on Netflix, like, and laughing a lot or being, having deeper relationships with friends who get to see me imperfect and, and, and not as strong as I've kind of presented myself in the world in the past. And so I think like it's helped me to, to slow down a little bit and to, be more authentic with who I am versus associating what my body can do with who I am, which has been really awesome. So I was writing down um, spirit extrovert, extrovert and body introvert because that was the most perfect way to say this. And I feel like I need to pay you for therapy after this is done. All right. That, that was right. impressive. Um, I, I charge a little bit more than Lucy from Peanuts. So it'll be, I think, 50 cents. Okay. Or next time advice. I get to see you, I will buy you coffee or. All right. <laughs> that <laughs> um, sounds a little bit more ethical. <laughs> I'll go with that. <laughs> but that's a great way to phrase that because it's so hard to separate the two when your body starts taking over what you can do and how people visualize you. And yeah. if you're you're used to being an extrovert, which uh, you know I I certainly was back in my day, and you're young, and to to have these changes, are you able to still go out and be with your friends? Is this affecting your social life? Yeah, and actually, right now is, this, is such an exciting time for me because I have the fewest symptoms and the like, the lowest level of symptoms that I've had since I was diagnosed which is really cool, exciting. And also like, it gives me, it gives me like, I get, I get this feeling of like excitement, but then scared because like, what if it goes away and I want to cling on to it. And, and so I had a conversation with my doctor the other day. It was a new doctor because I just started with a, a different, you know, MS center. And I was like, what's going to happen to me? Like, what's going to happen to me? I want to know, you know, what are the statistics? Like, how, what should I expect? And she kind of was basically said, you know, we don't have a lot of long-term studies on people who treated MS as early as you did. We have all these great disease-modifying therapies now that, you know, there's really no way to predict because there's this, there's this statistic that like 80%, I read it somewhere and it scared me which was that like 80% of people with relapsing MS wind up to, it turns into secondary progressive MS. And, and like, that was a scary thing to read. And then I got kind of mad at, at my neurologist, like, why didn't she tell me, you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> and then she was like, don't worry. Like nobody, nobody really, I mean, no, she didn't say it like that. <laughs> Sorry. She didn't say it like that. She said, you know, it's, it's really more like, you know, in the, in the first 10 years, not, not nearly as many people get. And I was like, but I'm not just thinking about the first 10 years. And so there's this sense of, of like, I want to know what's the future going to bring. And there's, you know, my recent, my new neurologist has given me a lot of hope about what's possible, but there's no guarantees and I don't want to bet on it. And I want to be humble and I, and I want to be willing to accept that my body could do any number of things. So what I've done just for my own sanity is adjusted my views on what a successful, fulfilling life means so that it's not dependent on my body in the same way that it used to be. And what do you find is the would look like a successful and fulfilling life for me it's this is gonna sound really cheesy i'll go cheesy (laughs) 
it's about like my internal environment. And so it used to be like, I want my life to, you know, I want to live in this kind of place. I want to be with this kind of person. I want to have this kind of job. I want to do these kinds of activities. And all of those things are very circumstantial. But now I'm realizing like, I want to be resilient so that no matter the circumstances, I have a joyful life. So it's like, what am I doing inside that is bringing me joy, peace, connection, giving me a sense of fulfillment? And part of it is like, I started a podcast, which as it turns out, doesn't require too much from the body. Thank goodness. <laughs> I feel really good about that. I also picked a career as a psychotherapist where I don't have to rely on my body for nearly as much as many other careers. Like I can even do online therapy with anybody in California. And it's really great because um, I don't have to leave if I don't feel well. Now, I'm not in that place, but it does set me up long-term for a more sustainable career as I age and as I, you know, as whatever happens to my body happens. That's really impressive. You, <laughs> it's So what you're saying about internal is so amazing. My dad was a therapist when he was working. And from the time I was five, the thing he always told me is that your imagination and what's inside your mind is the only thing that will never be taken from you. Everything yes. else can go away. Yeah, exactly. You're dead. I'm raising my team. Oh, yeah, I, I, I would raise, but um, <laughs> so if I sound a little uh, flighty today, I'm so sorry. I dislocated my hip um, last night oh, and, and my shoulder. So if I sound what? a little um, all over the place, I'm in worlds of pain right now. So apologies to anyone yeah. listening. Uh, but that's what my dad had always told me from when I was really little. And we didn't know I was the sick when I was little, but he had been in a very bad car accident. So he knew how much could go away. And I think he was trying to prepare me even when I was five, that there's so much that can change. The one thing that you get that's yours entirely is your imagination and your internal life is what he used to call it. He also taught me how to meditate when I was five too. So he was a really fun guy to have as a dad. (laughs) Oh, I like your dad. Oh yeah. He's he is wonderful and amazing. And I hope he listens to this because he needs a little like boost up. He's in, um, he's completely disabled. So my poor mom runs back and forth between the two of us. Oh, do you think he'll ever be on the show? I think so. Um, he's not doing really great right now, so I'm not pushing it. The one I'm really excited to do, and I hope everyone tunes in for this one. My mom says she'll do it, (gasps) but exciting. she's kind of back and forth on it. So I don't want to push her too hard, but yeah, yeah, we have like, we, I spend more time with my mother than anyone else in my life because I'm not supposed oh. to drive. So she takes me to all the doctor's appointments, which are many. Wow. Wow. And we have these huge talks about what it's like for me to be disabled, what it's like for her to take care of a grown daughter and a husband that she was not expecting to be disabled. And I am hoping for that podcast very soon because I think there's a lot of people in the same boats. And I love to get different sides of these very big issues. Like, yeah. There, people don't talk enough about what's really going on in their lives. I think a lot of us do the, like, bless you, I'm okay, or I'm fine, which is just like this mm-hmm. just rote response. And we don't get yeah. these deeper connections and talks about, like, okay, you're not fine. So what is it? Like, and then a shared experience can mean a lot. It really can. Yeah. yeah. I think it would be just so neat. I would love to tune into that episode. <laughs> Maybe we'll have a panel and we can get your mom in there too. <laughs> you know what? I I can tell you right now, my mom's into it. She would awesome. do it. <laughs> so everyone listening, look forward to this. Seriously, that'd be so fun. But you're talking about so many things and I'm like sitting here like writing notes, trying to keep up with like the most amazing things you're saying. And one of the things that you had planned for, I don't know if you planned this when you were going to college and deciding on a major. I'm thinking of this right now because I have a teenager who is starting to like, I'm getting, 
emails full, like 80 emails every other day on colleges. Did you know you were sick then when you're thinking about what you're going to do with your life or did it just happen? You chose the perfect profession. Oh my gosh. I just chose a perfect profession. But the other thing is like, I'm not an athlete. And so it's not like I was doing all these physical things and wanted to like work in construction or like do something really physical. I was really into being a therapist um, just because that's part of who I am and because I'm not a super physical person anyway. So that was another lucky thing. That was... Very lucky. I, I'm a little jealous. I thought about being a therapist when I was in school, but I ended up doing photography and Ooh. hence a podcast now <laughs> because um, nothing like having a photographer just look at the wrist while they're taking pictures. Uh, just does that not is, look good. It's a bad look for everyone. It's such uh it's hard. I'm a photographer too, but not like as a, as like a full-time gig. Um, and I remember listening to your episode talking about the time when you were honest with a client in a very real way about what had happened. And I just, my heart opened up because I was like, that's one of those moments that you don't choose. You sort of have to quote unquote come out. And the way that you described her showing up for you is so beautiful and it was unplanned and it wasn't, you know, ideally how you wanted the shoot to go. And yet (laughs) it was really a beautiful story. Thank you. It's what, there's just those moments in your life where someone unexpectedly gives you everything you needed and not like in a physical, like here's stuff you need. It's just that someone actually like opens up their heart and is like emotionally there for you in a way you were not expecting. It's such a like, it's those beautiful moments in life that you just kind of hold on to. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. I love what you just said, too. I feel like I want to take it out and make a quote meme out of it. <laughs> you and so I are these... just going to write down each other's quotes. <laughs> right? Seriously. There are these unexpected moments where someone just gives you everything that you needed. You said something like that. That was great. It's also the writer in me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's working. I'm, I'm glad something is. <laughs> uh, so you are, like, very young. Like, so... Yeah, I'm like 16. Yeah, no, you're a baby. <laughs> 16 year old Doogie Hauser type therapist. Totally. No. Yeah, no, really, she's 12. It's amazing, folks. Um, <laughs> but you're still at, like, I feel like where I'm at in my life, it doesn't impact me as much as it would have in my early 30s, like not going out with friends. And all, yeah. most of my friends are like, hey, we'll stay in and have wine. No big deal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in my early 30s, it was like, hey, we're going to go out and do these things. Are Is this limiting at all for you? Or are you still able to have like go out with friends, go on trips? Like I used to travel in my early 30s. I was always somewhere. And that's mm-hmm. I, if there's anything I miss the most, I think that might be the big one. Um, yeah. Are you still able to do the things you want or like I I can't even plan like a week in advance right now. Are you able to like yeah. make plans outwards? Yeah, I mean, I make plans. They don't always you know, happen. <laughs> You're an optimist, my friend. I do make plans. Yeah, and I and I I've, I've never really been somebody who likes to like do like a lot a lot of traveling or anything like that. But um yeah, it's it's to be very honest, disappointing sometimes when like, I think of if I'm working a full day and then there's an event in the evening, I'm like, mm, that sounds fun. Like, <laughs> is my body going to be able to do that? And like, wait, have two different social plans. And one day I used to be like social butterfly, you know, like I'll go see you and then I'll go see you. And now it's, it's not like that. Um, but here's the cool thing. I was never really into travel before this is weird. It's like a, it's like an ironic thing. Never really into travel before. Then I got MS 
realize that life is finite and that like here there are no guarantees and like live now. And now I'm like, well, now I kind of want to travel, which is funny because now I kind of don't have the same amount of energy to travel. But I feel like, especially since right now I'm in this period of sort of like remission, um, where I do have more energy. I feel like I want to seize the opportunity to do more now than I might have even done before I was diagnosed. And, and when I like right now, so I live in San Francisco and they have friends in the East Bay and it feels like a big deal to travel across the Bay. And so for a long time, for the past few years, like they would come across the Bay to see me. And so since I have the energy right now, I'm like constantly trying to offer to be the one to go over to them. Cause I want to prove to them that I, that like, I'm a, I'm a team, I'm a, I'm a good teammate. Like I'll, I'm a team player. That's the phrase. Like I will travel across the Bay, you know? Okay, that's hilarious. Anyone who is, I mean, we have an international audience. And if you don't understand, most people in San Francisco won't even go to like past like into Soma. Like there is like, there's a dividing <laughs> line of like everything. It's is two in different worlds. It's yeah. like Manhattan. Like if you live there, you're not going anywhere else. All my friends in San Francisco, like they will come here because they don't want me to dislocate on BART. So it's like, we have to go to that level for my friends to come over to yeah. the East Bay. <laughs> so yay, right. you, um, yeah. I, I, yeah. Oh my gosh. Totally. So, yeah. And I also don't often use public transit for a few reasons. Like one, it's just very tiring for my body to like go through all that shaking. Yeah, <laughs> Like it's exhausting. Like by the time I get to the thing I'm supposed to have energy for, I've used my energy to be like balancing myself. But, um, but yeah, like I'll use Uber or Lyft, uh, or, you know, one of those apps. That and I don't know if help. you saw, but Uber is now going to be offering rides to people for their doctor's appointments. Oh, really? I, I've been yelling for this on the podcast. Not to say I had anything to do with this. I had nothing to do with this, folks. But I just saw that they're going to be doing driving people to chemo and to doctor's appointments now. Good rehab for their, their like, image right now. They're going to do it for uh, free? I will link everything in because I don't want to say anything that I don't know for sure. But um, they yeah. just put out a press release uh, yesterday. So wow. I, I will link it in the show notes. But yay, Uber. And for all of our friends over in France and in Japan, our public transit shakes. Like it is like being on a minor earthquake the whole way in. And you can't hear yeah. anything either. It's like this auditory like assault the whole time. And it is exhausting yeah. to take public transportation. It really, it can be. Yeah. And also just like the other thing is the germs. And like, I just had an infusion recently, which compromises my immune system and I get it twice a year. And yeah, it's kind of risky to be too, too immersed in the germy world of public transit. (laughs) So what does an infusion consist of for you? Like, do you have to be there all day? Is it... Um, yeah. So the first few times I got it, it was like an eight hour ordeal and it was actually, okay. Can I tell you a funny story from Please, it? Please. I love funny <laughs> stories. I'm all here for it. <laughs> I was like, I can't wait to tell this one on my podcast, but I think it's going to be even more fun to tell it on your podcast. <laughs> Cause like, I don't have to be the host right now. So I can nope. just be silly. Um, so not that I'm not silly on my podcast, but this is fun. So I was at, um, my first infusion and so, so, okay, this is the funny slash not funny. It's like when you get the infusion, you can you could have basically an allergic reaction because half of the drug is, is rodent derived and half of it is human derived. And there are all these jokes people like to make about like, do you feel like going on a hamster wheel after you get your infusion? And the answer is no, but like, of course 
your body is going to be like, what the heck is going into me right now? So there's a very high incidence of allergic reaction. So there's this thing that's funny slash not funny, which is you could get an allergic reaction and die, which I just, at this point, I have to laugh because of all the ways that we can die with chronic illness. Like mm-hmm. you could get an infection and die because your immune system's compromised. Like there's so many ways that we can die um, that I just have had to just d- distance myself from it a little <laughs> bit just in order to show up. But you know, it's like you're, I was going to this thing. I was kind of scared. I got emotionally pretty revved up about it. And so like, so I get there and the first thing they do is they give you like some pre-meds. Well, I mean, first they measure and weigh you. I'm not going to try and give them a bad name. Like they do all the appropriate ethical things. Then they give you the pre-meds. So it's like solumedrol, which is the steroid, which helps with inflammation. And it like, I think helps you with potential allergic reactions. And then they give you Benadryl in an IV, twice the dose of over the counter. And the IV, I swear, I think they gave it to me over the course of like 10 seconds, but maybe it was longer. <laughs> but like they just went, shoop, and it like went into me. And it was just one of the most surreal experiences. Cause I'm not somebody who does drugs. Like I don't like, you can tell I don't do drugs cause I call it doing drugs. Like I just don't, I'm not somebody who <laughs> that does. That sounded like a dare PSA right there. <laughs> right. I don't do drugs. Do you do drugs? But, but basically, you know, I don't seek after those altered experiences cause I think my MS gives me enough of an altered experience. So I was really like, I, I felt like I was sinking into the floor And they were telling me like, just, this is a really good opportunity to just take a little nap. And I was like, wait a second. So you're telling me I could start to get symptoms like an itchy throat that lead to like a life, life threatening, like allergic reaction. And you want me to go to sleep during this time? Like, absolutely not. I want to be awake so I can tell you so we can treat it if I do start getting allergic. And they were like, well, the body has a way of waking up if there's an allergic reaction. And I'm like, okay, but my body does things it's not supposed to do all the time. So like it would sleep through, you know? So I had this mental thing going on where I was like, I can't go to sleep. But at the same time, my body was going to sleep. So this is the funny part is I fought it. I was like a horse with a tranquilizer <laughs> shot into me, like just galloping in slow motion. And, and I wound up, um, it was so bad. Like, and I was, my mental faculties were all there. So I was having these like intelligent conversations with the nurses, but my eyes were closed cause I physically couldn't open them. So I was like, listen, I know that you want me to go to sleep right now. I'm not going to go to sleep. I just want you to know you can encourage me all that you want. It's not going to happen. I had somebody there with me like as a support who was like, just let yourself relax. I was like, listen to me. Do not tell me that again. I'm not going to go to sleep. So I wound up shaking. Like my body shook in order because the drugs were so strong. Anyway, it was a very ridiculous experience, but I felt very proud of the fact that I was so, that I was able to fight it and I'm still alive. I am (laughs) digging the gallows humor, by the way. (laughs) Um, I love that they tell you that your body will wake up with the amount of people who die from allergic reactions who apparently didn't. <laughs> like, I, I will say that my specific drug that I take, I don't think they have any actual incidences on the record of people dying from it, which is good. Well, maybe they do. I don't know. I sometimes try not to look at those stats too much. Google is not your friend with a chronic illness. I mean, no. just like, once you get past the first round of information, it is not a nice place to be. Just 
Yeah. Step yeah. away. And just stay away from the image search, my friends. Oh, stay God. Away. Yes. <laughs> and any of my EDS zebras, do not look up your dislocations. It is not pleasant. Ooh. You'll find my pictures there. Not good. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just try to wrap my brain around this. So is this an all day thing you have to go through? Because you have the Benadryl in your system, so you're sleepy. So you're oh, not yeah. able to do the <laughs> Back things. To your original that... question. <laughs> no, no, we're fine. I mean, if you listen to like panels with Pierce and I, the fact that I'm keeping us on track is really impressive. Pierce is going to be like, you can do it. Oh my God. Why do you do this to me? Get me off track. Um, so you're not able to do the things people usually do to keep themselves entertained through a right. infusion. So do you now sleep now that you're pretty certain you're not going to die or do you? So, well, it actually just to keep things fresh, if you get it every six months, it's almost as though you're getting it for the first time. So right. it's like, the fear is always there. But, um, so, so basically the, the majority of the day is just the drug going into me and the saline solution going into me. And the first two times I got it, I had the Benadryl and was like pretty out of it. But then I was able to consult with my new doctor who said, we don't have to give you Benadryl. Why don't you just take a Zyrtec ahead of time? We'll give you some, you know, some other stuff when you get in, like, like Tylenol and, and we'll give you still, we'll give you the steroids, but we'll see how that goes. And like, we'll keep Benadryl on deck and say, in case something gets out of hand, but let's see how it goes. It was amazing. I was like alert and awake for the whole thing. I got tired. I mean, it's draining to have stuff happening to your body like that, but I was able to tell jokes to my friend who was there with me and, and be present. And it just was a completely different experience because in the past when I had the Benadryl in me, the old, I couldn't even watch a TV show. I could watch, my friend sent me paint mixing videos where like there's white paint and then it, <laughs> blue paint and they mix it together for another shade of blue. And then they add yellow. What's going to happen next? So like, that was the exciting thing for me was watching paint mixing videos. <laughs> that is, um, that's a very uh, interesting level of excitement. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was like, truly, that was the most engaging thing for me. <laughs> I, I would laugh more, except someone just got me on watching, um, aquariums, like just watching oh, the fish show. And I was like, yes, that's perfect. Oddly. And uh, I cannot I, the ultimate irony in my life is I cannot sit still to save my life. So when I'm stuck, like I was for, I was in bed for, I think it's been four days now. So I'm like going stir crazy. And so I was like, watch the fish. It will calm you. You will stay still. Aww. And I was like, oh my God, this works. It's <laughs> I can watch true. fish. Maybe I'll That's try so the cool. paint mixing. That sounds good. <laughs> yeah, paint mixing videos. And then there's like, YouTube has a whole series of videos that are like the most interesting video you've ever seen and it's like a picture it's like a video of somebody stacking spoons on each other and then it's a video of like a perfectly frosted cake and it's just like random and you know and like a slow motion paint-filled balloon exploding or whatever and then you just watch it for 15 minutes it's perfect for infusions when you have benadryl <laughs> I, I will keep that in mind for my next surgery. That's what I will try watching yes. before going under. Like that, that could work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really curious because um, my disorder has literally no treatment. There is nothing they can do. And there's also very little in foundation and money and research in my disorder. I don't know what it would be like to have something that has as much money as MS has in research and actually have things that they say that this could help. Like the only thing they can do for us is go here, this could drug you into not caring. Like uh, <laughs> I, that's I just, a really good point. What is that like to actually, because I, I could see it good or bad. I could see like, I don't like getting hope, hope because it's like that, that is not necessarily a good thing when you're, um, when you're just in the middle of 
bad to see like, oh, this could do something. This could get it better, which is the cycle I'm on right now with all the surgeries they're talking about. It's like, here's hope. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to touch that. That looks bright and shiny and scary. Yeah. How is that for you to have all these different kinds of treatments and different opinions with all of the stuff going on? It's amazing. And actually you asking that question has really helped me to, to see how amazing it is because like just meeting with, I remember last year meeting with my neurologist and I was like, you know, I heard some, something, she said, what did she say? Something about biotin being like high dose biotin being a potential thing that could help. And they're doing a study right now and I'll let you know how it goes. And it's like, it's like, it's like they're testing new items for a menu before letting me know if it's good and that I get to try it. So, and of course, you know, there's always risks with new treatments because there's no longevity studies, but stuff like biotin, there can't be, it can't be that bad. Anyway. Okay. Wait, don't take my word for this again. <laughs> not a doctor. This is not medical advice, but biotin is just like, I think of it as this really gentle thing. Same thing with vitamin D. Like I take high dose vi- vitamin D, which is a big thing with MS. Um, and so like just having that uh, continual like research going on helps me to feel like, yes, there is hope. Um, I know a lot of people in my life are like, they're going to find a cure by the time that you dot, dot, dot. I don't know what, like by the time I get older or before I die, or I don't know, but (laughs) like, there's this sense that, you know, there's going to, there's going to be a cure. So yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm curious if that's true, but it does feel nice. And there are also things like the MS society offers, um, for some people based on income, like psychotherapy support, like if they need to go and see a therapist, um, to, to like supplement some of the fee for the therapy and that you can apply for that. And, and so that's just the tip of the iceberg. I know there are so many other things, um, through the MS Society, the National MS Society, and I don't know if, the, if it's just the local one that offers that or what, but I've heard of it and it's it's pretty cool. So it, it's nice to feel like I'm part of this community and it feels like a warm blanket. That's, I'm so, I, I'm turning green. I'm so jealous right now. That sounds mm-hmm. amazing to have that kind of support. So we talk a lot about the podcast of healthy and sick world, because I think a lot of people walk around in healthy world and have no idea that this is right below the surface. And yeah, one of the things that healthy people don't realize is you can catch things or your body can do things that there is no cure for. There's no going to the doctor and they go, this is bad. Here is treatment. This right. might make you better. There's actually things where they're like, yeah, this is going to suck. And uh, this is as good as it gets, folks. Like It's going to keep sucking. It's yeah. going to keep sucking. And it's so interesting to hear about things like this, where there are research and ideas behind it and moving forward with it. And then there's all the support of the groups. Do you, do you find that group support is, is helpful? And I mean, you are a therapist. You can actually speak on this. Yeah. It's, it's like yeah. the group. I, I find it two ways with like the, the um I don't do in person groups. I'm too snarky for that. But I do the um, support group. <laughs> That's groups. another another little quotable. <laughs> it, it is why I did not do a Lamaze class. My husband's like, you get thrown out. You just you know. <laughs> um, but I do the online groups, and it feels two ways. Some ways it feels really good to talk to people you don't have to explain yourself to. And then there's also the people who are just so much in a darker place than you're at the moment that it can start getting really scary. Yeah. And like, it can be a lot yeah, to and carry. You're, you're talking about like the future and then you talk to people right. who are there. Right. How does that right. work for you? Yeah. And actually, like I remember consulting with, I had a really amazing neurologist um, 
at UCSF who we would talk about this kind of stuff because she knew I was a therapist and she would tell me about like, you know, and I've heard this story from her and from so many people, some of my clients will tell me this because I do work with clients with chronic illness, um, that it can be really scary to show up and physically see people who are further along in their development of disability, which, um, like I can relate to that. I can see it, but that's not the direction my spirit has gone. I actually feel more compelled towards folks uh, who have disabilities and chronic illness than I was before. I feel more willing to be present and, and be in community. And, and cause I, I just think like I have a bias now that like anybody dealing with health stuff is innately wise and insightful and amazing and probably has a better sense of humor and is really good at having real conversations. So that's not a personal thing for me, but I, I have heard that this is something that happens for people. It's like, if I don't have as high of a level of disability, that maybe it's too hard to, to go face to face and see what else is going on with people's bodies that might be more intense or might represent what my future looks like. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, the body is a weird thing. And I think it brings up so many things for us. And what you mentioned about like being part of those online groups, um, I have found that it's really nice to be part of like, I have an online group that's specific to the type of medication I take for MS. And then I have an online group that's for women with MS, which is great. Mm. Um, and then, you know, there's like, there's all these different kinds of groups, but th some of them are so big that it's hard to build personal relationships. So I started an online group myself, um, uh, based on the podcast that, that I started, um, which the goal is to kind of see the group as a place to share insights and to share, um, you know, how are we deepening our relationships with ourselves through chronic illness and health challenges. And so it's like, it sort of sets the tone from the get go. It's basically anybody who likes the podcast and likes that kind of conversation can join in and be a part of this Facebook group. And it's small right now, but it's nice. Um, and I find like one of the best ways to connect online is actually, this is a little scary for people, but through Facebook Live. Facebook Live, have you ever done that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I have it's, not. <laughs> it's like, so it's a function of Facebook where you do a live streaming video. And what's great about it is that it's not edited. It's not polished. It's very vulnerable because you've got people watching you live and you can mess up or have something in your nose or like whatever. Um, but it's, it helps, I think, to build connections so much deeper and faster than the written word can in these online communities. And I encourage people like in the group, it's called the podcast cafe. This is not what I ordered podcast cafe. Um, I tell people like, don't share everything because this is, even though it's a private Facebook group, it's Facebook and it's the internet and like anybody could really find it. So don't like overshare, but, but be willing to share an authentic version of yourself. That's, that's like, Hey, here's what I'm going through right now. Or here's what I'm learning right now. Um, and then we get to, um, as viewers, when somebody's live on Facebook, we get to hit the heart button and the like button and the laugh button and the sad button and the angry button, which kind of mimics that nonverbal communication that we do in real life conversation. But I really believe that in, you know, having, it's, it's like a two way back and forth that people can type comments by having these kinds of interactions. I think it's going to make a big impact on people's sense of isolation, especially when we're not all able to get out to go to those in-person groups. And, um, and it's, I think, 
uh, like just recovering after my infusion. Every time somebody goes on Facebook Live, I'm like, yeah, you want to watch that because I don't have to do anything but type and send hearts and stuff. And then I get to know them better. So, so that's my belief is that like that's going to be the the future of online community with chronic illness is doing video. That sounds so interesting. <laughs> I had. I, I have no idea about a lot of this. I just found out that there's Snapchat and understood a little bit more of that. And I, I'm way behind on so much of this. But you bring up one of my favorite points. And I want to get back to your podcast because first, before we go anywhere else, say the name of your podcast again because this is one of my favorite names for a podcast. Oh, thank you. It's called This Is Not What I Ordered. And I highly recommend. I've been listening all morning. She is wonderful and amazing. And I'm going to link this all over the show notes because it is a fantastic podcast. And she's, as you can tell, a lot of fun. Oh, um, thank you. Thank you. You bring up one of my favorite points. And it's one of my favorite points right now because I have a teenager who, you know, being a teenager alone feels like its own chronic issue with like, I remember yes. being that age and he is wonderful. Please don't get me wrong. He is one of my favorite humans on the face of the earth. Um, but I remember being that age and feeling really lonely a lot of the time. And mm-hmm. it, this was back at dial up era, like with the, yeah. the, the Skrillex sound as you went online, like the nineties, <laughs> <laughs> it was awful. And yeah. it was just the baby steps of the internet when I was a teenager. And now it's like everywhere. And I thought I was so sure that I knew how I was going to parent. And I was so certain I was such a better parent before I became one. Exhaustion makes you do all sorts of things. Um, but I swore I was never going to let them have any computer thing in their room. And how this circles back the long way to what we were just talking about is that I changed my mind because loneliness, I feel like um, as we're t- as I hear a lot of people talk about with this generation, they don't communicate. It's like, what the fuck are you all talking about? That's all they're doing is communicating. <laughs> this yeah. is the entire social media is communication. And I decided to back off. And if at three o'clock in the morning, he needs to talk to a friend, he needs to talk to a friend at three o'clock in the morning. That's got to be okay with me because... Yeah, the rest of us get to. Right? And I think that that teenagers probably need a lot more of the freedom than we take for ourselves in the ability to reach out and talk about what's going on. It's all new for them. Yes. Yes. They're getting life. They're getting through life together. Barely. Beautiful. (laughs) So I like, I just, it was one of my moments where I'm like, I'm going to change everything I believed about what I was going to be as a parent, because I think that isolation is probably more terrifying than anything else. And if you want to discuss isolation, chronic illness is one of the biggest isolators. Absolutely. It's so true. And I think part of the reason that it's isolating, of course, is because we know that people stay at home and because it's painful or it's it's challenging. And so there's just like the physical isolation. But then there's this social isolation around chronic illness and any kind of health challenges or disability not being something that we talk about like it's a normal thing. So when I show up in public spaces, I have to like constantly be coming out and being open and trying to normalize it in order to just feel like I can be myself. Um, And that's because I've made it part of my mission in the world. So like not everybody does that. And I even have to check myself sometimes when people are like, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. How are you? Uh, I always have to remind myself that you look great is not an insult. Like I I don't uh, have to go on the defensive because someone said I look good today. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, well, that's the thing though, is because 
I think there are so many people who don't get what it's like to live with chronic illness who would love to know that it's actually hurtful to hear that. It's just we don't always talk about the fact that this is what it's like for me when you say that to me. And sometimes it can feel confrontational. But I think if we start to normalize having health challenges, which I mean, like so many of us have them anyway, it's like 40% of the population or something, (laughs) but we all keep so quiet about it. It's the weirdest thing. Like that's part of where I think the isolation comes from is that we're not normalizing the fact that our bodies are imperfect, that they fail us all the time, that that's part of life, that like, let's laugh about it. Let's cry about it. Let's just be real about it. Um, so having these conversations is really important. And so I'm hopeful that our two podcasts and, and the other podcasts out there uh, will help to make this conversation one that's more and more common. You bring up such a great point, and this is probably going to be another long way around to the point. So I apologize to everyone, but the idea of your body failing, and I know as a woman who grew up before all this body positivity happened. Like I grew up with Kate Moss. Come on people. It was not fucking fair. Um, that the idea of your body not being perfect was almost a a statement on you. Like if you aren't perfect in every way, like no acne, no cellulite, no jiggle, everything exactly right. That made you a good person who works hard for it. And like having your body fail you with zero provocation is it's a very hard thing to admit when you're told most of your developmental years that you are in charge of what your body looks like and does. And it's just a failure if you didn't. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's the age old, you are your body there. We have all been taught that we are our bodies and this is kind of a spiritual concept, but (laughs) I actually don't believe that I am my body. And how do I know that? Well, like if I lost an arm, heaven forbid, I'd still exist. Like that arm wasn't me. So, and I get that like we have brains and all of that, like that's a big part of consciousness and everything. But so I don't know if you've ever heard of Byron Katie, she's a spiritual teacher. So she does something called the work, the work.com. Her book is called loving what is. And so Byron Katie is thank heavens that I found her before I was ever diagnosed, I actually used to bring her book with me to doctor's appointments just to calm me, that she sees the world and all of the challenges with her body, which it's actually not the focus of her work, but I've always been fascinated by her relationship with her body. She's had Bell's palsy. She's had a huge tumor on her face. She's had like blindness. She's had all these things. She sees them all as an adventure because she's doing this spiritual work where she understands who she really is and who she isn't. And so because she doesn't identify as her body, she's able to have this freedom that so many of us have never been able to taste if we didn't have chronic illness. And so she said, she has this quote that I love, which is she can be, she's deeply spiritual and also kind of sassy. She says, if you're betting on your body, you're betting on a loser. And, and it's, it's relieving to me to hear it because it's like, don't depend on your body. Part of the promise of the body is that it doesn't work all the time. It doesn't work the way we want it to. It doesn't look the way we want it to. It doesn't feel the way we want it to. That's actually the normal thing. So why are we spending all this time trying to make it perfect when the whole point is that it's a vessel for us to live our lives from, not something for us to present and perform which can be fun too, but like, that's not the main purpose of a body. The, the body is what just like allows us to have the experience of living. So I don't know if you've heard, uh, C.S. Lewis, who's famous for Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, also wrote this amazing book called uh, Till We Have Faces, and that's one of my favorites. Um, but he said that uh, we don't have, what is it, um, we, 
we don't have a soul. Uh, God, I'm so sorry. My brain just stopped entirely. But the basic idea of it was, is that we have a soul. We're in a body. Like we're borrowing yeah. that. Like, yeah, I think, yeah, I'll stop yes. trying to quote things. I cannot no, remember I think properly. You, it's the essence. And I'm sure I'm, I'm sure you'll look it up or find it. Or I whenever. will. And I will post the exact quote on the pod, yeah. of the, um, the show notes, but it was a beautiful quote. And I love the idea because, um, and gosh, we're running so short on time and I have so many questions to ask you. Uh, but I've known for so long that my body was going to fail. I've been sick since I was a kid. And before we start wrapping up, you sound like you're an adult when you got this. Yeah, How? it was only like three, a little over three years ago. So I don't want to put you on a time clock on this, but I'm so curious about what that's like because I had decades to prepare and to slowly deteriorate. Like, how does that feel when it's this sudden shift? Um, that's a good question. The sudden shift, it really changed how I see myself. And and I will say, like, I have a propensity towards positive thinking. So, like, I do honestly answer this question and say, like, it changed my life in a really good way. I do believe that it's, it's one of the most transformative things that's ever happened to me. Um, and I think I have a lot of physical privilege in saying that because, like I said at the beginning... My MS, as, as hard as it can be on the hard days, is really not as hard as it as a lot of chronic illnesses are for other people. So I think I have the privilege of being able to say um, I wouldn't change it because it's given me so much deep spiritual insight, and I think my life is richer and more amazing. And I I know myself in a more real way than I would have. Um, but yeah, like the the hard parts were oh crap, uh, am I going to wind up alone? Am I going to, you know, like what's going to happen to me? Um, and, and I still think about all those things. I'm still figuring it out. Like this, the, the, you know, I I've had it for three years. That means that I'm still getting my orientation. Like it's not, (laughs) it's going to be a lifelong thing. I also believe that grieving, um, health challenges is a lifelong thing. And recently somebody had written uh, in one of the online forums, like, has anybody ever finished grieving their health challenges so that they can have a good life? And I said, (laughs) I, I think, I think that for me, I'm going to be grieving and having a good life at the same time. That's the only way for me. To, Cause that's, and like, that's a concept of my podcast is full hearted living with chronic illness and health challenges. Full hearted means I let myself feel the joy and the sorrow that that's what makes my life richer. So if I think I have to finish grieving before I can get on with living, I'm going to be waiting for the rest of my life. And I know now that like, it's okay to, I, I can still consider myself a positive person and feel really bummed, angry, sad, disappointed about what's happening with my body. Like all those things are not, you know, canceling each other out. That is absolutely beautiful. And I'm sorry I laughed, but the idea of ever being done grieving something as big as your body, not doing what you're asking (laughs) it to do. That's an adorable level of optimism. I don't think I could ever aspire to. That's cute. Like, Yeah. But you know what? I think we've been taught as a culture that grieving is this thing that has a beginning, middle and end. And I just don't believe that about grieving. In fact, I think that's part of the definition of what grieving is, is we're... (laughs) we're living a relationship with the thing that we lost and we're, we're just real about it. You know, that's 
Beautiful. I heard someone describe um, after he lost his wife that grieving is like being in the middle of a major storm in the ocean. And at first the waves just keep coming up and pushing you under just right when you start to breathe and that the waves just get further and further apart, but they never stop. And I thought it was just such a beautiful way to describe grieving for anything, for your body, for a loved one, for like just grieving, like losing my profession was, that was that's a long standing thing. And I would have more temper tantrums about these, like, this is no fair stomp feet, but if I stomp my feet, I will dislocate my ankles. So it's, it's a very <laughs> measured response that has to happen. Um, I cannot believe this has been an hour. You are so wonderful to chat with. Oh, you too. And I hope that you, I'm going to ask you to prom publicly. Will you be on my podcast? Yes, 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 absolutely. And I'm loving that you live in San Francisco. Someday yes. we'll have to like either Skype date if we can't do this together. Yeah. But yeah. everyone, please listen to her podcast. It is unbelievable. And the name one more time for everyone because it's one of my favorite things. This is not what I ordered. Oh, everyone, go <laughs> on to This Is Not What I Ordered. It is wonderful and amazing. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for having me. And I'll talk to you very soon. I hope so. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in this week. It means so much to Kiros and I. We are still a baby podcast. We're only six months old. And if you would like to be really, really nice to us, you can share this episode with a friend or someone you wish understood chronic illness or invisible disorders better. And you can also go to iTunes, leave an embarrassingly nice review, and of course, press that subscribe button. Tune in for a new episode next Monday a.m. And until next time, be kind, be gentle, and be a badass.